Well, good morning, everyone. I wanted to uh, go ahead and give you the weekly update that I've been giving you on the facility. I had previously said that the facility would be closed until at least May 31st. However, I have been told now that it is simply closed until further notice, no specific date. So, pray with me that the notice to open would come sooner than later and that we all might uh, trust in and patiently wait on the Lord while he works things out according to his perfect timing. So there is an update on our facility. So beloved, as is uh, my tradition, I ask you each week if you have in this previous week read through the entire letter of Philippians. And so if you, if you did that, I hope you did, but if you did that, I, I would love if you would just raise up your hand uh, really high, you know, so that I, I could see it, um, see. So, oh, yes, great, fantastic. Anybody else, anybody else have an opportunity to raise up their hand and then just let, let, us, let everyone know? Oh, fantastic. That is, well, I'm encouraged by those things. I'm encouraged by those things. And if you didn't get an opportunity to read it this last week, again, I encourage you to do it. Make it a regular practice. Read through all four chapters of Philippians. I would even recommend doing it on uh, Saturday night so that on Sunday morning when you sit down to, to watch this video, you will have read it. It will be fresh in your mind, and you'll be ready to uh, hear the message concerning a part of that letter. So I want to invite you now to go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. This is going to be part 5, part 5, four other parts before this one, part 5 of a sermon titled Final Appeals, Final Appeals. In verses 1 through 9 of chapter 4, as I've said before, Paul makes a number of final appeals or loving exhortations as he brings the letter to a close. The appeals by Paul that we have covered so far in the previous four parts include an appeal for unity, an appeal to rejoice in the Lord always, an appeal for the church to let their gentleness be known to everyone, and an appeal to not be anxious about anything, but rather to pray with thanksgiving. That was last week's. And I hope, I really do hope these messages have been helpful to you, a blessing to you, I know as I've gone through the material, it certainly has been uh, helpful to me. Today, in verses 8 and 9 of this section, we will consider the last two appeals or loving exhortations of this unit. I'm going to read all nine verses of chapter 4, verses 1 through 9, all nine verses, and then we're going to dive in to verses 8 and 9. All right, so if you would, follow along with me now as I... I read from this section. Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, the Apostle Paul writes, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Iodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. 
Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. All right, there's our entire text, but again, we're focusing now. We've already dealt with verses 1 through 7, so we're going to focus in on verses 8 and 9. And at the end of verse 8, you'll notice that Paul appeals to the church to think about these things. What things? Well, it is all the positive and wholesome things that Paul listed off there for us in verse 8. But before we look at those things in more detail, I want to talk a little bit about the, the imperative that's translated, think about, think about. The thinking that Paul lovingly exhorts the church to do, that he lovingly urges Christians to do, is not at all a superficial or a shallow or even a sporadic kind of thinking. Think about these things is, is also translated dwell on these things in the New American Standard Bible. Dwell on these things. I, if I had to choose, I prefer that particular translation or that word, dwell. The underlying Greek imperative that's translated think on or, or dwell on is also in a tense that indicates continuous activity. Uh, it's in the present tense, which means that Paul is not asking and urging his Christian readers upon receiving this letter to dwell on or think about these things once or maybe twice or even occasionally. But rather, he, the text indicates that, and the words here indicate, that he is urging them to let their minds dwell on these things continually. Continually. Please note that. One scholar says this about the underlying Greek word translated think on or dwell on. He says this, it means to give careful thought to a matter, consider, ponder, and let one's mind dwell on something. He goes on to say that Paul is calling the followers of Christ to be attentive, reflective, meditative, thinkers. But why? But why is Paul exhorting Christians to continually meditate and reflect on or consider and ponder or 
give careful thought to the good items that he listed there in verse 8? Well, because the Apostle Paul wants Christians to be increasingly influenced by those very things. He wants them to be shaped and transformed by the kind of thinking, as he describes it here, that will not only benefit and bless them, those Christians, but also others around them, and also increasingly bring God glory as they gradually become more and more like Christ through the process of reflecting on and meditating on these things. Jonathan Edwards, in his book, The Freedom of the Will, he says this, just a small uh, excerpt from there. He says, the ideas and images in men's minds are the invisible powers that constantly govern them. Let me say that again. The ideas and images in men's minds are the invisible powers that, that constantly govern them. So, in light of such things as that, Christians, let your minds continually dwell on whatever or all that is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, and commendable. Let those things, as you dwell on them and reflect on them and meditate on them, govern your heart, govern your affections, govern your conduct, govern your life as you live it for the glory of Christ. These are the objects that we see here in verse 8 of a, of a wholesome Christian thought life. A thought life that, beloved, will, will over time transform your life for the better. And by that, mean, by that I mean for your good, as God defines it, and for his glory. For his glory. Let's consider each item now separately. Separately. Verse 8, looking now back at the text. Dwell on, uh, as we've looked at this, dwell on or ponder or give careful thought to whatever is true. Whatever is true. Whatever, that word, is repeated, you'll see it there in your text, before each of the six items that, that Paul lists. And the word is plural, whatever. It's plural, which suggests more than one thing could be included under each item. Uh, you could also read it this way. Dwell on all that is true. Dwell on all that is true. And so that will be the case as we look at each one. So while Paul did not limit these items to just one particular thing, 
I do think it is safe to assume, based on the contents of this letter, or the context, and Paul's other inspired writings that we have in the New Testament, I think it's safe to assume, based on those things, that for some or all of these items, Paul no doubt had the gospel and or Christ and or the scriptures in mind when he was thinking about these things and, and, and appealing to them to dwell on things of this nature. Dwell on all that is true. So the idea would be dwell on, possibly, dwell on the gospel. Dwell on Jesus Christ. Dwell on the scriptures, which are absolute divine truth. Dwell on God in his word. <laughs> Dwell on his son. Dwell on the saving message of Christ. Dwell on what the word says about you, what it says about sin, what it says about Christ, what it says about your future, what it says about your present circumstances. Dwell on that truth. Dwell on these things and keep dwelling on them. Keep reflecting on them. Keep meditating on them. I, wa I want to add that in order for us to, to continually dwell on all that is true means first that, well, we must be careful to discern the difference between those things that are true and those things that are not. So we must be always exercising discernment. And second, it means we must not dwell on those things that are false. We must not. In order to, to live in submission to this exhortation, we must be discerning, and we must not be dwelling on things that are false. Beloved, the world we live in, as you know, continually spews out falsehoods or lies. Lies about humanity. Lies about humanity's creator. Lies about humanity's savior. Lies about humanity's salvation. We must, as part of our obedience to this loving exhortation, rid ourselves of all those lies. We must not let them occupy or take up residence in our minds. One author said, since as fallen creatures we are prone to Satan's lies and deception, the only way we can know the truth and walk in it 
is to steep ourselves in God's word, which is absolute divine truth. He goes on to say, we should know the word so well that we automatically run everything we encounter through the grid of God's word. And I wholeheartedly agree. I would also add that dwelling on the truth of God's word can be so encouraging, and it really is so encouraging, and, and uplifting and strengthening and, and all the positive attributes you could possibly think of. They, they are rightly attributed to uh, God's word and the truth found in it, but it can also be, as we dwell on the truth of God's word, it can also be uh, quite difficult and painful for us. That is when the truth we are reflecting on and, and meditating on and, and carefully considering and pondering, when that truth exposes, well, the error of our ways or, might I say, our sinfulness or our sinful thinking or sinful attitudes or, or sinful deeds. But beloved, I, I would just urge you, don't turn away as you're meditating on those things. Don't turn away and go back to the lie that those things are okay or should be tolerated or accepted by you. Don't turn away and go, and go back to the lie that, that makes you comfortable. But rather, I would exhort you to fix your mind on that hard truth whatever it may be, and let it have its way with you. Let it have its way with you. Let it change you. Let it transform you. You will not regret it. And if you let that divine truth have its way with you, you will be blessed. Others will no doubt be blessed. And most importantly, your Lord, your loving Lord, will be honored. Continue to dwell on all that is true. Two, continue to dwell on all that is honorable. On all that is honorable. Another translation says noble. Another translation says, worthy of respect. The Greek word, according to one scholar, implies or suggests whatever is awe-inspiring, lofty, and majestic. Things that, as he describes it, lift the mind from the cheap and tawdry to that which is noble and good and of moral worth. Hey, Christian, what are you choosing to have your mind dwell on? What are you choosing to have your mind dwell on? Things which are maybe the very opposite of honorable? Things which are vulgar or crass or shameful 
Or are you continually choosing to have your mind dwell on that which is worthy of respect, worthy of awe, and worthy of adoration? Again, continue to dwell on, meditate on, as we think about what is honorable, the gospel. Continue to dwell on, meditate on God. Continue to dwell on, meditate on the Lord Jesus Christ, right? As we consider these things, fill your head and feed your hungry soul with that which is truly magnificent and majestic. That's the appeal. That's the loving exhortation. Continue to dwell on all that is true. Continue to dwell on all that is honorable. Three, continue to dwell on all that is just. On all that is just. Just is translated right in the New American Standard Bible. The idea, the best way to probably understand it here is on all that is in accordance with the divine standard. Dwell on all that is in accordance with the divine standard. Someone else puts it this way. Whatever is in perfect harmony with God's eternal, unchanging standards. We, of course, find God's eternal, unchanging standards in the scripture. So that's how we would know what is in harmony with those standards. And we are to, to dwell on those things. Also, when I, when I think of that, you know, I begin to think of that, of that which is in perfect harmony with God's eternal, unchanging standards, well, my mind immediately goes to the person of Jesus Christ. We're right back there again. The person of Jesus Christ. In dwelling on him, I am dwelling on all that is in perfect harmony with God's eternal, unchanging standards. So I say to you, read the Gospels, beloved. There's four of them in the New Testament that put on display for us the birth, the life, the death, the resurrection, and the glorification of Jesus Christ. Read them. Read them again and read them slowly and meditate on them by which you will be meditating on and, and, and fixing your mind on all that is in, in perfect harmony with God's eternal, unchanging standards. Read good books about Christ. Read the Gospels, but there's so many good resources out there that, that focus in specifically on the life and, and sacrificial life and death of, of Jesus Christ. And carefully think about what you have read and, and, think, and think and ponder it and, and spend time considering it. In addition, when I, when I think about things that are, that are just, that are in perfect harmony with God's eternal unchanging standards, besides of immediately thinking of 
the person Jesus Christ, I, I think of the future kingdom of God. I think of that kingdom, that righteous kingdom. And it has a way in my heart of strengthening it and, and reinforcing my hope and giving me a, a peace as I live in this broken, unjust world. I might also ponder as I think about these things, my, these things such as perfect harmony with God's eternal unchanging standards. I, I might ponder uh, under that subject my complete sanctification, my glorification, that, that future day when I might live in perfect harmony. I might live in perfect harmony with God's eternal unchanging standard. When I will always do what is right in thought, and in word and in deed, oh my. And I, I rejoice in my heart as I think upon those things and, and look forward to that reality. And as I dwell on those kind of things, it also brings to light the areas of my life now that are, that are, not, that are not in accordance with the divine standard. And in that process, the Spirit uses that to bring conviction and the desire to change and to put those things off and to walk justly as God would have me to live my life. So many benefits related to this appeal that Paul makes to the church at Philippi, and by extension to all Christians. Continue to dwell on all that is true, on all that is honorable, on all that is just. Number four, on all that is pure. Pure. Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 5.22, it's the same word he says, he tells him to keep himself pure. That's how the ESV translates it. The New American Standard Bible translates 1 Timothy 5.22, this way, keep yourself free from sin. Free from sin. That's a good translation of the underlying Greek word. The word speaks of, this Greek word, of that which is morally pure. Morally pure, or that which is not soiled or tainted in some way by evil. One writer says, Purity in all of life begins in the thought life. Think about whatever is pure. Think about that, beloved. Think about whatever is pure. Another says this, we cannot have a pure thought life without first ridding ourselves of things which defile us. It would be like trying to clean yourself while you're lying in a mud hole. Indeed. Dwell on all that is pure. And of course, there might be a number of things, certainly there are, that would fall under this category. But I can't help but again be immediately drawn to the person of Jesus Christ. Dwelling on him who was and is 
entirely pure. Continue to dwell on all that is true, on all that is honorable, on all that is just, on all that is pure. Number five, on all that is lovely. On all that is lovely. The scholar says, things which are lovely are those things which commend themselves by their intrinsic attractiveness and agreeableness. Agreeableness. That, the synonym for that word would be that they are pleasant and pleasing, or pleasant or pleasing, either one. They, they are things, <coughs> lovely things, things that are inherently pleasing and attractive, like a fragrance that is pleasant to all. Beloved, just again, as we consider this, all that is lovely, whatever is lovely, dwell on those things. Is Jesus Christ not entirely lovely, beloved? Is he not? Oh, he is. Is the gospel, is the good news concerning Christ in our salvation Salvation for sinners, undeserved, unmerited. Is it not altogether lovely, brothers and sisters? Oh, indeed it is. Dwell on it. Meditate on it. Ponder it. Let it have its way with you and influence you and strengthen you and encourage you. And write you. Continue to dwell on all that is true, on all that is honorable, on all that is just, on all that is pure, on all that is lovely, and finally, number six, on all that is commendable. Another translation says admirable. Admirable. A definition of that English word would be arousing or deserving respect and approval, admirable. The New American Standard Bible translates it this way, whatever is of good repute, probably not a term we use very often now, but maybe, maybe some do. Repute, what is that? Well, it's the opinion generally held of, of someone or something uh, or the state of being generally regarded in a particular way. So generally regarded as good, of good repute. All that is highly regarded or well thought of is another way one person summarizes the meaning of the word. All that is highly regarded or well thought of. Focus your mind. Dwell Focus your mind on those things. Dwell on those things. Y we might say something like this. Hey, your child, just as an example, your child's behavior in school was commendable. That's the thought, commendable. It was deserving respect and approval. Or, you know, I might say to someone, hey, look, your efforts to save those kittens in the tree were very commendable, very uh, uh, worthy of, of my approval. You really went the extra mile. Beloved, again, on all that is commendable? Well, listen, the life of our lovely Savior, Jesus Christ, was all together commendable. Commendable. Is my Christian life commendable? 
question worth asking as you consider these things. Is your Christian life commendable? Are there aspects of it that are not? Others that are, but some aspects that are not? Dwell on, meditate on the commendable life of Christ and be both awed by it and transformed by it, challenged by it, encouraged by it, guided by it. So, to review again, Christian, we, we as Christians are to continue to dwell on, on all that is true, all that is honorable, all that is just, all that is pure, all that is lovely, and all that is commendable. And with that, I would, I would add this note, that in order to really comply and fulfill this request that Paul makes, this loving exhortation to, to live in compliance with it, we must not allow our minds then to dwell on what is false, dishonorable, unjust, impure, unlovely, and contemptible. After providing the list of these six items, Paul basically sums them all up uh, with the statement that we see here in verse at the end of verse 8. Looking back now at the text, if you want to look back there at the end of verse 8, after these six items, he says, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. The word excellent, I want you to note, is the primary Greek word for virtue or moral excellence. Moral excellence. So, I would just rephrase that statement this way. Whatever is morally excellent and praiseworthy as the things are that I just mentioned, that Paul just, this is Paul, I'm paraphrasing. Whatever is morally excellent or praiseworthy as the things are I just mentioned, dwell on these things. Dwell on these things. That brings us, or think about these things as it's there in the text. That brings us to verse 9. There Paul says this, and I'll make a few comments as I'm reading verse 9. What you have learned and received, pause, what you have learned and received. I understand these two words, learned and received, to be referring to Paul's teaching and instruction that he gave to his Christian readers or had given to his Christian readers and that they had believed. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, heard and seen in me. I take these two words to be referring to the example or testimony of Paul's life. All right? So again, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. Practice these things. That imperative is also in the present tense, which means continue, just as they are to continue dwelling on these things, 
whatever is or all that is true and honorable and so forth, they are to be practicing and continuing to practice these things. And then Paul closes this section with saying, and the God of peace will be with you all. Greek scholars point out that verse 9 here is best understood not as an entirely separate thought or idea, but rather there is a connection between 8 and 9. It is, con- uh, it is connected w- with verse 8 in the sense that Paul's teaching and way of life, as one author puts it, exemplify those things that are considered to be excellent and praiseworthy. Paul's teaching and way of life, I'll say it again, exemplify those things that are considered to be excellent and praiseworthy. You could paraphrase it this way, the two verses, keep dwelling on the things that are excellent and praiseworthy and keep practicing the excellent and praiseworthy things that you have learned from and seen in me. That is the Apostle Paul. And as you can see, the, the appeal is, is not just, hey, keep practicing the things that, that I have taught you, but it is also that they are to, the appeal is to, that they would pattern their Christian lives after Paul's. In other words, uh, he, he lived the very things he taught. He walked the walk. He didn't just talk, he actually he himself followed his own preaching, his own instruction. Again, there's this idea of imitation that's being presented. Imitate me. And we, we saw that earlier in the letter in chapter 3. Paul, Paul brings up that idea there. In chapter 3, verse 17, he says to those Christians at Philippi, join in imitating me, join in imitating me. In other words, follow my example. Imitate my pattern of life as a follower of Christ, as a Christian. And it was indeed an an excellent and praiseworthy life. I said to you then when we looked at that, when when we looked at that Philippians 3 verse 17, that In the context of this letter, Paul's example that he calls upon the church at Philippi to follow is the example of a Christ-centered, Christ-directed, Christ-exalting life. A life that is desiring more and more of Christ. Desiring a, a deeper union and relationship with Christ. A life being lived in Pursuit of Christ in obedience to Christ. Not perfectly, but that is the pattern of the life. Not perfect obedience, but it is obedience, continually giving oneself to obedience to Christ. And even being obedient when you are not obedient by confessing your disobedience and then turning from it. It's a, it's a life that's being lived in obedience to Christ. It's a life that's being lived, as we see in Paul, for the glory of Christ, for the, for the honor of Christ. A, a life lived with the goal of progressively becoming more like Jesus Christ. It is a life that 
that is caring about the same things that Christ cares about, that are the things that are important to him. Those things are becoming important to you, more and more important to you. It's a life that is loving and longing for what Christ loves and longs for. A life marked by devotion and dedication to Christ. A life impacted and transformed in every way by the divine and most amazing person and saving work of Jesus Christ. A life given to making Christ known in the world. A life of sacrificially serving Christ. A life increasingly manifesting the perfect righteousness of Christ. A life worthy of the gospel of Christ. An excellent, as I said, and praiseworthy life. That's the life that, that Paul calls them to pay attention to and to follow and to imitate, to practice the things, these excellent and praiseworthy things that they themselves have learned from Paul and been instructed by Paul through his teaching and also have seen in Paul and, and heard in Paul as he, as he lived out his life in faith to Christ and in submission to him. Verse 9 closes out with, and the God of peace will be with you. Paul uses that expression many other places. Behind this expression, that is the God of peace, behind this expression, the God of peace, we are told uh, in, in one commentary that behind that expression lies an Old Testament and Jewish background and really signifies the sum of all true blessings. By speaking of God, one writer says, as the God of peace, Paul is characterizing him as the source and giver of all true blessings. The God who is both willing and able to help and save into the uttermost. And as is pointed out, they were, in verse 7, promised that God's peace would keep them safe. But here they are assured in verse 9 that the God of peace himself will be with them. His presence will be with them to bless them. I, I might paraphrase it this way. As Christians continue to practice what is excellent and praiseworthy, they will truly know the blessings of God. Well, beloved, I hope, I hope these things have been helpful to you. We, next time we come back, we'll start in a new section. We're almost finished with this wonderful letter. I'm going to be so sad to, to leave it. Uh, but we are coming to the end of it now. We're really close. But I hope today's message and all the other previous messages are, are really helping you and, and blessing you. And uh, with that, let me just close our time in prayer. Father, God in heaven, we, we are so grateful uh, for all that is here for us in this section of Philippians, in the entire letter, and for that matter, in all 66 books of holy writ, of your revelation delivered to us uh, to guide us and, as I've said many times before, to strengthen us, to encourage us, to uh, 
to help us think properly and thereby live as you would have us to live uh, in a way that would honor you and glorify you and, uh, and in a way that, that is good, beneficial to us, your people, and to others and to the world. And so, Father, I'm grateful for these words here. I, I just pray that, again, that even that we would take time to dwell on and consider these things, that it, it wouldn't be just a, a quick passing in the year and out the other, but that we would take time to, to, to consider that list and to think about the th- all the things that we might dwell on that accord with that list, to think about our lives and, and are, we, are we practicing, are we regularly and continually uh, living out our faith uh, the instruction that we've received via your word and and follow and, and father even as we have uh, as an example in Paul and there are many others as well faithful christian men and women either in the past or even in the present uh, are we looking at those models of godliness are we considering them and and not just uh, saying well that's good for them but instead saying that's the way for me. And looking to, to imitate that godliness, uh, that, that right way of living, that way that honors you, Lord. Are we looking to do that uh, when, we, when we consider those things? So, Father, we have a lot to think about. And I just pray that that's exactly what we do, would do. We would seriously consider these things and then act accordingly. And, uh, Father, we are... We're grateful. We're grateful for uh, the opportunity to, again, still be able to communicate in some way, some limited way with one another via technology. God, we are grateful. We are. But we also recognize that this is certainly nowhere near uh, the blessing and joy and power that we have in our weekly gatherings, and even just being able to uh, be with the body face-to-face. And Father, I, I, I do pray, help us, help our hearts to, to be still, to not grow uh, anxious or frustrated or angry, uh, but Father, to remain calm, to be at peace, to look to you, and know that you are working all things out according to your good purposes. And continue to just trust in you, Father. But I do pray that you might, you might work to bring us back together sooner than later, Lord. I ask all this in our Savior's name. Amen. Well, beloved, that concludes today, the message today. And so glad that you... We're with us, and I hope you will again make it a habit to just tune in on Sunday mornings, so that's still your habit to, to gather on Sunday in some way, to, or to at least to, to, to set aside that time on Sunday. I pray that you'll make that your habit instead of maybe doing it another day of the week or going back and watching the video, that you, you stay in that kind of habits. That way, when we do get to gather, gather back together again, y- you'll be used to saying, well, this is the time we've set aside for 
for coming around God's word, for singing his praises, and so uh, it'll be more normal, natural to you, but uh, I hope you'll tune back in next week, same time, same channel. God bless you.